chapter eleven of the dawn of medieval europe four seventy six to nine eighteen by j h b masterman this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by pamela nagami charles martel ruled seven fifteen to seven forty one few things are more striking in the history of the period with which we are dealing than the contrast between the long succession of ineffective and shadowy merovingians who followed one another on the frankish throne and the series of great leaders of the house of st arnulf who for more than a hundred years hold the destinies of europe in their hands even in the declining fortunes of their house a hundred years later the carolingians retained much of the strenuous vigour of their great ancestors and only when the direct line of succession ended in 987 did the crown of the west frankish realm fall to another royal house pippin of herstal ruled over the franks for twenty-seven years and had two sons to whom he hoped to hand on the succession but in 708 drogo died leaving two sons and shortly after grimuald was murdered leaving one little son teudewald now eight years of age pippin had now to make fresh provision for the future and he appointed the little teudewald as his heir with his wife plectrudis as regent but besides his wife plectrudis pippin who like most of the frankish chiefs retained in his domestic life traces of the earlier polygamous conditions of pre-christian times had another wife alphaida by whom he had one son charles now a young man ambitious and stout of heart and little likely to acquiesce in any arrangement that ousted him from any share in his father's dominions a striking drama follows in seven fifteen pippin died and the merovingian king now aged fifteen received as his mayor of the palace a child of eight under the guardianship of an aged and imperious grandmother her first step was to seize and imprison charles her next to raise an army to meet an insurrection of the neustrian nobles who having set up a certain regenfried as rival mayor and allied themselves with the heathen frisians and saxons poured into austrasia and drove plectrudis and her grandson into cologne in the confusion charles escaped from prison and rallied the austrasian nobles to the support of his house but chilperic king of neustria who seems to have had more energy than most of his family marched against him and with the help of old ratbod of frisia defeated him near cologne plectrudis was reduced to purchase peace by the surrender of most of the royal treasures and the acknowledgment of the claims of the neustrian king but charles fell upon the neustrian army as it went homewards in triumph through the ardennes and smote it into headlong retreat at Amblève, the king and his mayor barely escaping with their lives next year he broke into neustria routed chilperic at vincy and chased him to paris as the young king of austrasia had died in the preceding year charles now discovered a new puppet king clotaire by name whom he seated on the throne becoming himself mayor of the palace then followed the series of great blows that earned for charles the name of martel the hammer he drove the saxons beyond the frontiers 
wrested west friesland from rotboat and then marched into neustria chilperic and his mayor regenfried summoned to their aid udo of aquitaine who had carved out for himself an independent duchy south of the loire but charles having detached udo from the alliance crushed the neustrian forces in a last great battle near soissons regenfried maintained for a time the semblance of resistance while the neustrian king made terms with his great enemy and charles's puppet king having conveniently died became king of all the franks with charles as mayor of the kingdoms and undisputed master of the frankish realm einhardt charles the great's biographer has described in a well-known passage the position of these merovingian kings at this closing period of their history for many years the house of the merovingians was destitute of vigour and had nothing illustrious about it except the empty name of king for the rulers of their palace possessed both the wealth and power of the kingdom bearing the name of mayor and had charge of all great matters of state nothing remained to the king except the name of king his flowing locks and long beard he sat on his throne and played at ruling gave audience to envoys and dismissed them with the answers that he had been taught or even commanded to give the mayor of the palace allowed him to live and bear the title of king but he had nothing of his own save one estate of small value where he had a home and a small body of servants when he had to travel he used a covered cart drawn by oxen and driven by a rustic retainer in this style he travelled to and fro to his palace or to the annual gatherings of the people the work of administration and all matters of policy at home and abroad were in the hands of the mayor within a year of the establishment of peace chilperic died and was succeeded by theuderic on his death about seven thirty seven charles did not trouble to find another merovingian to fill the vacant throne but contented himself with dating his official documents the nth year after the death of theuderic the special task that lay before charles as before each new mayor at his accession was the restoration of the authority of the franks over the outlying parts of the ancient frank dominions that had lapsed into practical independence in the confusion of the previous period relying on the support of his austrasian warriors he struck eastward and southward and restored the old frontiers of the empire two provinces in particular claimed his attention the first of these was bavaria originally occupied by a teutonic tribe who had subdued the celtic boii and taken possession of their land the territory was ruled by native chiefs who admitted the overlordship of the frankish kings but lived in practical independence their relations were naturally close with the lombards on the other side of the alps and we have already seen a bavarian princess married to the lombard king egololf and helping to extend christianity among the lombards several missionaries had begun to evangelize bavaria rupert of Worms, emeran of poitiers and corbinian there is a good deal that is obscure in the story of bavaria in the early part of the eighth century but about 725 charles martel and the lombard king liutprand appear to have invaded the country and a few years later charles again attacked bavaria and carried off a bavarian princess schwanehild who
whom he married after the somewhat vague Frankish fashion, and by whom he had a son Griffo, who was destined to play a part in the subsequent history. Bavaria appears to have once more accepted the Frankish yoke for a time. One result of the reassertion of Frankish supremacy in Bavaria was the organization of the Bavarian Church by the great missionary Bishop Boniface, acting under instructions from Rome. Aquitaine had also drifted away from subjection to the Frankish rulers. We have no record of the process by which this province, which retained more than any other part of the empire of Clovis its ancient Roman character, secured the practical independence to which it had attained by the time of Charles Martel. We have already seen Udo of Aquitaine taking a share in the war between Neustria and Austrasia that raised Charles to power. After this, the relations between the Frankish mayor and the Aquitanian duke were for a time friendly. Aquitaine had need of the support and friendship of the Franks, for the duchy was menaced by a danger with which it was not able to cope alone. The Moslem conquerors of Spain had contrived to make their yoke tolerable to the inhabitants of the country, whom they left in undisturbed possession of their lands and religion, subject to a produce and poll tax, from the latter of which all Moslems were exempt. But while the subject people accepted their fate with resignation, quarrels broke out between the tribes of the conquerors, and Spain shared the general tendency to disintegration that throughout the Moslem world followed on the great period of conquest. The only way to check these internal contests was to continue the work of conquest, and accordingly the leaders of the Spanish Moors began to penetrate beyond the Pyrenees and menace the Duchy of Aquitaine. In 720 they captured the town of Narbonne and overran all the province of Septimania, but Udo compelled them to retreat from before Toulouse, and so gave the first check to the advance of Moslem conquest in the west. Five years later we find them advancing as far as Autun in Burgundy, for Udo had now become involved in a struggle with Charles, due probably to an attempt of the Frankish ruler to reassert his overlordship over the province. Udo had even gone so far as to give his daughter in marriage to an Arab chief. Open war broke out in 731, and Aquitaine had already been ravaged by the Austrasian army, when the domestic feud was suddenly stilled by the tempest of Moslem invasion that burst through the barrier of the Pyrenees. Udo's son-in-law was slain by the Moorish leader Abderrahman, and in the spring of 732 he reached the Garonne and lay siege to Bordeaux. Udo, advancing to the relief of the city, was defeated and his army nearly destroyed. The Moslems marched on toward the Loire, while Udo fled to Charles to implore his aid. The crisis was grave, for only a Frankish victory could save Gaul from falling a prey to the Saracens. But Charles and his Austrasian warriors, reinforced probably by levies from the other races under his rule, met the Moslem host between Poitiers and Tours, where Charles took up a strong position and awaited the assault of the enemy. After seven days of reconnoitering, Abdurrahman ordered a frontal attack, and the Moslem soldiers threw themselves against the serried ranks of the Franks, 
much as the normans long after charged the saxon lines on the slope of senlac but the franks stood firm and with their long swords worked havoc in the ranks of the enemy night fell on the scene of carnage and when the frank army marched out next day to renew the fight they found the saracen camp deserted and the enemy fled leaving rich spoils for the austrasian warriors to bear home with them 732 three years later udo died and charles was obliged to march into aquitaine to secure for his son hunold the recognition of the frankish overlordship then in 737 war again broke out between the saracens and the franks through the treachery of a certain duke morantis of provence the moslems gained possession of the two great cities of arles and avignon charles busy with a war in the north sent an army under the command of a half-brother childebrand he himself followed soon after in time to share in the capture of avignon and the defeat of the invaders in a great battle near narbonne according to one chronicler liutprand king of the lombards sent a detachment of troops to aid in this struggle which went on for a year longer and ended in winning back all provence from the moslems this campaign closed the warlike activities of the great mayor of the palace though not much over fifty years of age his health began to fail and such fighting as needed to be done against saxons or frisians he left to his two sturdy sons the most important incident of these years was the appeal renewed more than once from pope gregory the third for charles's help against the lombards liutprand was a trusted friend and ally of the frankish ruler and for this reason alone it is easy to understand charles's reluctance to embark on a campaign against him it is difficult to know what to make of the story that gregory offered charles the office of consul as the price of his intervention if he really did so he offered what he had no right to give another aspect of the policy of charles deserves attention in spite of his championship of christendom on the field of tours and his support of boniface and his colleagues charles fares ill at the hands of later ecclesiastical chroniclers the reason for this is that he is accused of having robbed the church in order to reward his followers the facts are that in the confusion of the earlier times the church had acquired a very large amount of land and that charles had not enough crown lands left to reward his officers in the usual way by grants of land charles therefore resorted to the expedient of resuming crown lands that had been alienated into ecclesiastical hands or appointing his warriors as prelates or abbots so that they might draw the revenues of religious foundations it is interesting to see emerging already the problem that was destined for ages to disturb the peace of germany till the final secularization of church lands in the napoleonic time laid it at last to rest charles died on the twenty second of october seven forty one and was buried at the great church of saint denis near paris having ruled the franks for twenty-five years End of chapter eleven